1: i Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be want to make friends, they just trying to make us some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, context. Call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Who's afraid of big, bad China? Yeah, this is one of those days that shows you exactly what could happen if we would make some sort of deal with the Chinese. Even a bad deal. With the Dow gaining 197 points, This would be climbing 0.85%. NASDAQ falling 1.08%. Of course, the deal seems pretty unlikely at this point. Neither side has much reason to compromise, and that is the crux of the problem. Oh, it's gotten a little absurd out there. Today, because the White House gave the outlaw Josie Huawei a temporary reprieve from the most draconian terms of its blacklist, the market was able to rally. As stocks that are caught in the crosshairs of the trade war war I'm higher, you got a glimpse of what could happen if we just got a trade armistice. So let's treat this. I got an idea. Let's treat it like a courtroom. Today's rally, I'm putting it on trial, and I'm the counsel for the defense, arguing that the sky isn't falling, even if the trade war goes on for a lot longer. Than we would like. Exhibit A. Look at Corvo. Okay, actually Corvo, the semiconductor company that does a huge amount of business with Huawei. This morning, Corvo cut its first quarter earnings. The guidance from a buck thirty down to uh, per share midpoint to down to buck fifteen. Okay, you got that fifteen cents because of the Huawei sanctions. But because these sanctions are being delayed, the stock actually managed to rally today. Early. Earlier this month, Corvo traded at 78 bucks. Now it's at 61. This company has lost about $2 billion market capitalization because of that 15 cent earnings hit. I'm starting to think it's already baked in. More important, if the export ban actually ends up being delayed indefinitely, this stock could roar back. It's a good company. Frankly, I'm a little surprised that it could only rally nearly a half a percent. I could have picked Skyworks a bunch of, but I thought Corvo was good because it pre-announced today. Exhibit B. Boeing. Now, this stock gave you a glimpse of the kind of action you could get if you made a deal with China. Boeing's stock gained nearly $6. I think it could have had an even bigger move, maybe double. But the stock stalled out when a Wall Street Journal article published it, uh, claiming that Boeing downplayed the doomsday scenario that led to the crash of Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. Now, this whole chapter of Boeing's existence has become downright surreal to me. Here's a company that's been hit with a brutal one-two punch, gets a quarter of its orders from China, and then there's the endless debacle that is the 737 MAX. Yet the stock's up 11% for the year. Can you imagine what would happen if anything, and I mean anything, were to go right? It could be a 40 dollars stock, blink of an eye. Now, don't get me wrong. Boeing clearly, I think in the press, has dropped the ball on the 737 MAX. And the crashes in Indonesia and Ethiopia were horrific tragedies. I am not minimizing what happened there at all. But the stock simply isn't reacting the way you might expect. I think it's one presidential tweet away from a 40-buck rally. Even if we don't get a trade deal with China anytime soon, Boeing's got a gigantic backlog of orders from all the world, all over the world, because we just don't have enough large passenger aircraft to go around. The cash flow in Boeing, humongous. Exhibit C for the defense, Micron. Up nearly 3% today. I know Micron deserves to be a dog. I mean, it's a commodity chip maker. Prices the main product, T-Rams, have plummet. But the darn thing, it sells for... Five times earnings. Typically, that means there's going to be a total collapse in orders and the earnings estimates need to be cut, perhaps cut aggressively. However, Micron bottom, not that far from here the last time we heard about a shortfall. And when you consider that Corvo was able to rally on the same day it pre-announced the downside, remember, same day it pre-announced the downside, uh, admittedly due to a bizarre uh, coincidence, it's possible this one may not have much more downside either. I got an idea. I wish CEO Sanjay Morotra would come back on the show and pre-announce a darn shortfall if he needs to and get on with it. Same goes for Xilinx, which snapped snap back today, also because Huawei's a major customer and delaying the blacklist means they don't have, immediately have to lose the business. Remember, their huge 5G button. Exhibit D, well, you knew I had to get to this one, right? Apple. Apple's up 1.9% today. We keep waiting for the Chinese government to hammer Apple into because of uh, retaliation, right? Taliesin for Trump tariffs? Everyone just assumes that's what's going to happen, which is why the stock plunged 29 points in a straight line, at least until today's relief bounce. Uh, This rebound is all about China. With Trump easing up on Huawei, the Chinese have an incentive to hold off on going after Apple. And if they never end up being targeted, well, this stock could roar. Honestly, this whole thing with Apple has become a Wall Street obsession, a virtual parlor game. Colonel Jack Mustard in the library with candlestick, Mr. Apple in China with a lead pipe. All right, come on, it's a business show. I'm trying my best here. Exhibit eight. NVIDIA. Yeah, my dog. The recent history of NVIDIA is a little like the Book of Job. It was hit with a cryptocurrency-related shortfall. A gaming shortfall in China, a slowdown in the data center, and yet the stock's still more than thirty points up from its fifty-two week lows. Now you got to admit, when the company's firing on zero cylinders and the stock's still one hundred fifty-five, Nvidia, you got to say it's hanging in there. And again, you have to wonder what would happen if we make a deal with China. I'll tell you what happens: it goes up fifty. Exhibit F for the defense of the rally. Caterpillar, here's a company that's got a lot less Chinese business than you might think based on the action in its stock. Yet it's regarded as a little more than a plaything for hedge funds that want to bet on the outcome of the China talks. Short sellers beware. Cat's lever to worldwide sales. And more important, earnings. This is not the old Caterpillar, people. It's the Caterpillar that recently boosted its dividend by 20% and regularly buys back huge quantities of stock. Cat rallied today thanks to the de-escalation with China. But really, it shouldn't be trading in lockstep with China in the first place. And yes, it should be higher. Finally, Exhibit G. I don't know if you're following, like, you go on Memorial Day, you buy some stuff for the house. That's what we like to do. You go to Dollar General. It was up 1.4% today. This is the kind of stock you'd expect to be at its 52-week low because it sources so much merchandise from China. It's now subject maybe to this 25% tariff. Instead, it's just a few bucks away from its 52-week high. Stock's basically screaming that we're blowing things out of proportion. Now, on the other hand, look, the prosecution has a lot of ammo here. China could find some way to retaliate that we haven't thought of. You know, they're going to be clever. They're not going to just sit there and say, well, hey, I, I, read, I heard that on Kramer's show. Um, they could go after some of the companies we just talked about. You know I worry about ABC. That's uh, not the furniture store. It's Apple, Boeing, and Caterpillar. At the same time, today was an aberrant, aberrant day. But maybe we should spend more time focusing on the shortfalls from Kohl's. Not good. And Home Depot, although I think the sell off in Kohl's is way overdone. And Home Depot actually rallied at it first quarter as investors accepted their alibis about the weather. Still, the Bears will say that today's action had a dead cat bounce feel, especially after Nordstrom plunges on earnings. They may be right. I mean, you don't need a pre- Catch out to see what you see. But here's the bottom line. Today's rally was a reminder that if we do get any breakthrough in the trade talks whatsoever, you're going to get an epic rebound, and it's going to be in these. Don't you love the way I put these over here? So it like, goes down like this, and then it goes like this. It's called flow, all right? And I think we've seen uh, what we've seen at these levels where stocks get hit uh, so hard that they start to reflect. What are these reflecting at this point? The return of Chairman Mao, the long march, and a banishment of the capitalist rotors, who only put China on the path to prosperity, putting people, uh, food on paper for uh, 400 million people. I don't think it's going to happen. Today may smack more of fantasy than fact. But now you know what the market would feel like if President Trump and the Chinese Communist Party can find a way to bury the hatchet, and not in each other's heads. I want to go right now. Jeff in Nevada. Jeff. Hey,
0: Jeff. Jeff in
1: Las Nevada. I'm a registered nurse out here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, thanks for all you for right. that
0: everybody. Jeff. That me? Hey, what's up? All hey, right.
1: I have a question about my question is about Dropbox picker symbol DBX. Um, I bought this thing pre-market on five ten nineteen, and it was right. Um, it had good earnings, good user growth. Everything was looking good. Unfortunately, it looked like it got caught up in a lot of the tariff right. drama. It was. It was right after um,
2: kind of. The but Jeff, unexpected. this thing acts
1: okay. Come on. I, uh, Drew should come back on Drew Housing. This stock acts okay. Remember when, look, when I was sweating when it was under 20? I think at 23, I, I think it's, a, it's held up very well. There's a lot of other stocks just falling apart. Hey, why don't we go to Dan in California?
3: Dan! Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dan. I really appreciate your honesty and all this information. Thank you. Uh, the reason I was calling is last week you advised a caller not to go into energy. I believe they're calling about Chevron.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I said I like Chevron, to, but yeah. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Does that extend to
3: the energy infrastructure
1: companies like Enbridge? Absolutely. It extends to that. I mean, these things are, I don't know. I mean, they have no growth. I like the management of these very much, but these have been atrocious investments, and I'm not gonna put more people in them than are already in them. I think you should buy Centene. Just kind of mix things up a little. How about Joe in Pennsylvania? Joe. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Booyah. Booyah, Joe, what's about, going on? You talked about a stock a few years ago called AMD stock, chip stock. How do you think that stands for the future? You think uh, that's a buy, sell, or hold stock? Lisa Sue? you going to talk about sell or hold? That is in Cray America. We are buyers of AMD. That stock acts very well. And I got to tell you, uh, it's because they're doing very well. All right, now look. It has gotten a little nutty out there, even by my own admission. But today's a reminder that the market has a bit of the dead cat bounce to it. If we make some sort of deal, this is what flies. This is your list. Man, tonight. As Novartis turns to cutting edge areas of medical research, could the company boost life expectancies? and also returns. I'm talking with the CEO. And while the cannabis sector is new and exciting, it's easy for an investment to, uh, uh, to let's say, end up in smoke. <laughs> Tonight, I'm going off the charts to see which names can still make you some green. And it's down over 30% since the September highs. But could Trek's position in sustainability? Remember, they use plastic from, you know, landfill kind of stuff. Making a hot plate for the summer. So now that the sun's out, I've got the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at com, or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ, one place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. Powered by data, the digital revolution is changing every industry. But when it comes to your wellness... Is technology and innovation the clearest path to healthy returns? As the healthcare debate rings louder, is Novartis the right prescription for investors? We got a real conundrum when it comes to
1: healthcare here. On the one hand, these are exactly the kind of stocks that are insulated from the trade war with China. On the other hand, many of the Democrats running for president, well, they want to implement some sort of single, payer system, which could really eat into the profits of the whole industry. That's why I was so thrilled to attend CNBC's Healthy Returns Conference earlier today, where I interviewed Vass Narasimhan. Now, Vass is the CEO of Novartis. That's the gigantic Swiss drug company. He has done a terrific job in his first year as CEO. The guy's 42, by the way. And he was kind enough to sit down with us after that, after the on-stage interview. I got to interview him one-on-one, answer a few more questions. Take a look. They call you Vassar, I call you Doc. Doc? <laughs> will you please tell me with your unique perspective how we can get our arms around the cost and take the bold step like you did in the op-ed
2: because there's a way to have finite costs that might save the system a fortune. Well, we're in this unbelievable time right now in medicine where we're moving to a world where, you know, we used to take medicines over many, many years, right. right? We would take them again and again. And now we're in a world where we could have one-time curative therapies, potentially curative therapies, but that's going to have a, require a whole shift in how the system thinks about costs, payments, etc. We need to think about value, what is the value we generate, and that's how we're thinking about pricing our gene therapies. We also need a system that allows payments over time and also outcomes-based payment models. Right Right now, we don't have that system in the U.S. because of a lot of the rules and regulations. So we're advocating with the government to see, can we actually come up with a whole new way of thinking about this to allow, let's say, if you're an insurer or you're a Medicaid Mm -hmm. program, you could pay over five years for one of these transformative therapies, but the child gets the therapy when they need it. And of course then the transformational impact. Present value of cure, right? The present value of cure. And I think that's one of the things we need to now grapple with. What is the value of a cure versus all of the you know chronic care we often have for these patients?
1: Now, uh, we are in a political debate, it's going to be an election year next year. No one wants to talk about how one million dollars buys a cure. Uh, And in fact, there's such a backlash that most of the Democrats
2: favor single payer because they don't
1: want the million-dollar drug. Are they being uh, penny
2: wise? I think right now we're in a moment in time where we have to avoid a lot of the extremist reactions. I think there's sensible things we can do, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact we have an unbelievable innovation engine in this country. Cancer deaths have fallen year after year after year for decades. We're in a world now where many diseases that were once death sentences are now chronically treated. And so we need to keep an ecosystem that's robust, that allows for that innovation to happen, and patients to get access to those medicines right away. What I believe is we should fix some of the distortions in the system. We should really ensure rebates get to the patient at the pharmacy counter because really, what are we talking about? We want patients to pay less at the pharmacy counter and get their medicines. We need to reform Part B and 340B and we need to look at more biosimilars in the United States.
1: Okay. uh, I would be remiss because it's mad money not the Healthy Returns (laughs) covers. You have the most blockbusters of anybody. and A lot of it is, I know now, that from the pipeline that you created, uh, you could have multi-year hits. So this is not something you have a patent cliff, is it?
2: Right now, we're entering an exciting growth phase right. for the company. I mean, right now, we're in a situation where Cosentix and Tresto firing on all cylinders. Well, used to be, you know,
1: this is for psoriasis and, and, and uh, heart failure. That's
2: no, heart right. Failure. Can Tresto for heart failure, yeah. Cosentix for, for psoriasis and rheumatology. Mm-hmm. And now we have the string of blockbuster launches coming out. Starting this year, we already had one approval with a drug called Mazin. We expect Zolgensma, our gene therapy this mm-hmm. year. Then we'll have picray in cancer. Then we'll have a drug called RTH for eye disease. And it goes, it goes on from there. And it's a pretty exciting moment because I can't remember a time at Novartis where year after year after year we have these significant medicines getting launched. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about our company is we're diversified. We're a diversified right. medicines company. When you look at these launches, they happen across therapeutic areas as well as across technologies, and that's pretty unique.
1: And that's why you were able to spin off Alcom without worrying that you lost your cash count.
2: Right now, uh, I really believe it was the right move. When you look at Alcon, Alcon's doing extremely well yeah. as a standalone company, valued at approaching $30 billion. We're, of course, really, I think, had a, a great run uh, in, in the recent quarters, outstanding Q1 performance right. with all of our blockbusters now coming into the fore. So I think the $50 billion of transactions we did to focus the company, right. the almost $20 billion of M&A we've done to build our core medicines capability is really paying off.
1: You know what you are? I figured it out. It just, just hit me. I remember in the 80s, in the late 80s, Pfizer, Merck, these were engines of development run by scientists. And and then it went away. And those companies used to get the highest price earnings available. Now these price earnings are below tool companies. Is it because they stopped innovating?
2: Look, I believe the lifeblood of this industry has to be high-end innovation. We have to be about the latest technologies to transform human health. And as long as we stay on the cutting edge, as long as we can change the standard of care for patients, I believe investors will invest in our our company and, and generate great returns. I believe society will value the medicines. But when you, we lose our innovation edge, that's when I think we, we kind of go the wrong direction in this industry. But
1: you are willing to be committed to a dividend, even though, you know, I mean, I would tell you that with the growth you have, you don't need to do it.
2: Look, our, our dividend has been with us for a long time, and we're committed to it for the long run, so that's not going to change. But also, our commitment to invest in our core R&D stays the same as well. I mean, we've been committed to investing around $9 billion in R&D and around 20% in our innovative medicines, and that's our commitment for the long run. And if you look at our, us historically, we've maintained that investment over time, and I think it's paying off.
1: Now, uh, we earlier got to listen to the outgoing FDA commissioner and I thought it was very telling at the Healthy Returns Conference that you said, maybe the battleground is tobacco. Because uh, there are forces in the tobacco industry that, even though they say they wanted to keep it to 21, they offer attractive watermelon, jewels,
2: I mean, was that something you would uh, say maybe shouldn't be if you're the head of the FDA? Well, look, I'm a public health physician and my my background leads me to say, you know, I I really think uh, habits like smoking. Uh, cause huge impact to society that we don't even see. Whether it's cancer, whether it's other heart disease, lung disease, the impact is massive. And I think we we have to be honest with ourselves. If we want to tackle these diseases, we have to tackle the underlying causes of these diseases, like smoking and like alternatives to smoking.
1: I also think, uh, as someone who is uh, going to be a spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, that you are doing a lot for another disease, it's a disease that is not take two aspirin and go, uh, you know, go on your way. You recognize with AMOVID, which I know is an Amgen drug, but that you can blow this thing out because it is a million, million, million sufferer issue.
2: It's, it's a huge issue. And if you look across uh, you know, major markets, we're talking here about seven, eight, nine million patients with severe migraines, and they need better therapies. The first thing they need, though, is to be recognized as having a disease. And what we know is that in many places around the world. Migraine is not acknowledged as a disease. And I think if we can treat this disease, get people to awareness for the diagnosis, get uh, hopefully uh, Amivig in people's and patients' hands, we can really make a huge dent in what is, I would say, a hidden problem in our society. One last question. What's the most exciting thing about your job? What's this, it is the innovation pipeline? We just had our our, our kind of R&D review. Yeah, people and I, raving. You know, we we, we sat, uh, sat there in a room going for over 10 hours, going through all of our pipeline projects. You know, I'm a scientist at heart. I love the data. I love the fact that we tackle so many huge diseases for the world. And I'm looking forward to doing that continuously for the years to come.
1: Well, I want to thank Dr. Vass We We you the full name, but I call you Vass. Okay, okay. now You were... I like Vass. You're the CEO of Novartis, which is one of the great performers. You get dividend. You get yield. You get growth. Hard to find. fast. thank you so much. Appreciate it, Jim. Yep.
2: Thanks.
0: This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade.
1: been happening in the cannabis space. Well, these pot stocks are incredibly volatile. They're the opposite of chill on a day-to-day basis. They're starting to differentiate themselves. Before the marijuana cohort kind of traded as a group like a big ETF, now that correlation has started to fray. Uh, the wheat is separating itself from the chaff. Now, regular viewers know I think you need to be very careful about approaching the cannabis stocks. I'm not a believer about all of them. This group got incredibly bubble-ish last year, and many of the players remain insanely overvalued. So you've got to be selective can't just buy any old ganja grower anymore betting that a rising tide will lift all boats. Some of these boats will rise, but others might end up going under. In short, this is a group where individual stories start to matter. That's why I've been so consistent about telling you to stick with canopy growth and Kronos, which I consider the best-of-breed players based on the fundamentals. They could be the only two that actually make it so that crazy out there. But I think it's worth considering another perspective here, which is why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Tim Collins. He's a brilliant technician. He's my colleague at realmoney.com. That's where I blog to get a better read on the cannabis cohort. First, before we get into specifics, Collins says it's important not to focus too much on the moment-to-moment swings in these stocks. If you try to follow the daily charts, the whipsaw action will leave you broken. Instead, you need to take a longer view with the weekly charts. So let's tick them down here. We're going to start with the weekly chart of a thing called AFRA. That's a $1.72 billion company that sells pot in Canada that you ask about constantly in the lightning round. Now, this one, he's calling it a big, fat nope. According to Collins, the chart has nothing going for it whatsoever. Then there's Tilray, which we talked about last week. I told his management to believe their own hype, much to their own detriment, much to our detriment, much to the shareholders' detriment. Uh, Tilray's fundamentals are questionable. Collins says the chart, heinous. All right, what about Kramer fave Canopy growth? As much as we like Canopy because it's got that $4 billion investment from Constellation Brands, that's Modelo and Corona, uh, that should make it easy for them to dominate the Canadian cannabis market. That's the fundamental side of the story. When it comes to the technicals, Collins thinks we can do better, although he likes Canopy enough to own the stock. Thank you, Tim. So which pot stocks does Collins really adore? Right now, he favors two of them. One of them doesn't even want to consider itself a pot stock. GW Pharmaceuticals, not a pot stock. And Village Farms, one I haven't done any work on. Check out the weekly chart of GW Pharma. Before we get into this one, you should know that this company is adamant that it's really not a cannabis play. GW is an old-fashioned pharmaceutical company. Makes anti-seizure drug called Epidiolex. I'm going to print. it. I always screw this one up. Epidiolex. Sorry. Little cinema verte though, right here, right? This is not a this is no can show. I, I'll sneeze if you're not careful. And they have a bunch of other therapies in the pipeline. So why do people talk about this one like it is a cannabis stock? Because GW pharma's drugs are inspired by cannabis. They study the components of the plant and find ways to synthesize the ones that show some evidence of helping people. I have been a fan of GW Pharma for a long time. And a lot of that is because you can dose it. You can't regular pot. The stock has had a monster run. I mean, you can't even see how far this thing has come. Uh, still, based on the action in the chart, Collins thinks it has more room to run. I agree. Why? Well, first year performance. your form is what's got an ascending triangle. OK, and that's this line and then this line. People love that kind of thing. That's a bullish formation that you get when a stock makes a series of higher lows and higher highs. It is very bullish. Three weeks ago, GW Farmer tried to break out of this ascending triangle and failed. However, these ascending triangles, they are made to be broken. Collins believes if the stock can finish the week above 180, which I think is very likely. i got to say it's currently 184, uh, up five and change just today alone, then that will trigger a breakout, one that could take GW Farmer to 200 or even 205. What could change this bullish setup? If the stock pulls back below 160, Collins says you should throw in the towel. Me, I have been long this one, you know, not long it, I've been recommending it to you, all the way, and I am not backing away one bit. And we had them on around right here, and the story is terrific. All right, now, here's one. It's really small, all right, but Connell's brought it to our attention. He owns the stock. I'm going to mention that a second time later. Now, look at this weekly chart of Village Farms International, VFF, not VF Corp, VFF, Tiny, speculative produce company that recently shifted much of its Canadian greenhouse assets to cannabis via a joint venture. And they're also growing more hemp now that it's legal here in the U.S. While this is a relatively unknown name, the stock's had a phenomenal run. Collins owns a piece of Village Farms, too. Once again, I repeat that because I don't want you to say, well, why didn't Kramer reveal that or Collins say it? Now, the stock has recently pulled back somewhat from its highs, with the short sellers at Citron Research attacking VFF for its valuation. But Collins says that it's fine. Village Farms needs to rest in order to digest its gains after the stock's meteoric rise from 3 to 18. The fact that it's come back down to 13 and change could mean you get a buying opportunity. What makes Collins bullish? For starters, he's noticed what's known as a cupping pattern. Cup, right? Clearly defined resistance level top of the cup at 14 bucks. Got that? This could potentially go one of three ways. Maybe Village Farms will drift sideways, forming a cup and handle pattern, so it would look like this. That's very bullish. All right, uh, Collins doesn't see that happening, though. Know, although it would be again positive. The other two options: the stock could break out to the upside on a close above fourteen, or break down on a close below twelve. Collins is betting that an upside breakout is the most likely outcome. That's it. He wouldn't try to anticipate it. With Village Farms currently at thirteen and change, he recommends. Patience. If the stock rallies about 14, pounce. But yeah, he thinks it'll be smooth for, uh, sailing. If it goes from 14, it'll go to 17 and perhaps even to 20. Me, I think the cannabis space is risky enough. I don't know. Uh, you're really taking your life in your own hands if you try to speculate on, on a $649 million pro, uh, produce company that's pivoting toward pot. I say go with the canopy. Go with the Kronos. Kronos. Collins' last idea. He, uh, he he he's not so sure about this one. Remember, I'm always citing these guys as the number two player. Why? Because they got 1.8 billion dollar infusion of cash from Altia, which is frantically, I think, trying to diversify away from tobacco, which is going like that. But Collins is not enticed by the actioner. After rallying for six months, Cronus ran into a wall in March. That really it got really ugly here, peaking in the low twenties. Now it's at 15. Uh, yep, the stock has been hammered. And unlike Village Farm, Collins disliked the look, he dislikes the look of this decline. At this point, Kronos has already rolled back nearly two-thirds of its move since the beginning of the year. Even worse, the stock's making a descending triangle. Ooh, just as bad as an ascending trial triangle is good. That's uh, lower highs and lower lows. A very bearish mirror image. The bullish ascending triangle will be sold in GW Pharma. The good news for Kronos, when you look at the full stochastic oscillator, well, you got to like what you see. It tells you when a stock has gotten overbought or oversold. You can see that this thing is in extreme oversold territory, meaning it's come down too far too fast. Still, that doesn't mean it's ready to rebound. Normally, Collins would like to see the crossover occur. Okay. Uh, black line going over the red one. It hasn't happened yet. Doesn't like to anticipate that. He thinks it could potentially get back in its groove uh, if the stock can finish above 15. Right now, it's at 15.60. However, if the stock pulls back below 14, Collins says the game is over because he thinks it will then head to the 11 to 13 range, where, by the way, I would urge you to buy it given that Altria money. The bottom line, we're finally seeing some meaningful differentiation in the cannabis stocks and the charts, as interpreted by Tim Collins. Just the GW Pharma, which you know I like, and Village Farms are buys here. And Kronos could work its way higher. I like Kronos, although that one's more risky. You know my view. I think you should stick with cannabis growth, but Collins believes that GW Pharma is the best bet, and I like that one, too. Although, remember, it's not really cannabis. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Andrew in Florida. Andrew!
3: How are you, Jim? Hello from sunny Florida. There
1: you go. It's a beautiful day here, too. I got the edge on you. What's going on? Uh, beautiful. Hey, on February 7th, you conducted an interview with the CEO of Evilis on their recent FDA approval for the new drug, Juveau. Yes. My question is around the recent manipulation or impact the stock price had with Alfion, the largest shareholder, selling 4 million shares. Of yeah, money. wasn't that nasty when they, right around when they, when they launched? Wasn't that nasty? It was. Yeah, I was not happy with that. Um, you know, I got to tell you, Andrew, you're right to point it out. I should have pointed it out. I was uh, kind of bummed. And, I, I, you know, maybe the company can come on and try to explain what happened there. Uh, I know that it's, uh, it was a blow to a lot of people who thought that was the right time to own the stock. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. Can I go to Ron in the Illini? Ron! Hey, Jim.
0: Thank you for taking my call. You bet. I'm a retired senior, fixed income. I live on dividends. I added ABBV to my portfolio, ABBV. I'm wondering if I should invest more.
1: No, I don't want you to invest more. we got to find out what the biosimilar is going to do to their main drug. Uh, stocks don't yield five uh, for no reason. This does have a bit of a challenge business. I think they can uh, rectify the challenge, but I am not going to double down right here. I think it would be a mistake. I'd rather see it in Verizon or even ATT. All right. Cannabis stocks are starting to differentiate themselves. I think you should stick with canopy growth. But the chart suggests the GW farm is best. Much more made money at, including my exclusive with an under-the-radar housing play I like very much that could be worth eyeing. Don't miss my all my sit-down with TRAX T-R-E-X, not the bike. Then I'm raiding the Forbidden City of stock sectors and telling you which could be worth considering and all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. <laughs> While the homeowners have been working their way higher this year, courtesy of lower mortgage rates, some parts of the housing complex seem to be struggling. Take Trex. The world's largest manufacturer of wood, alternative decking and railing products. Hey, basically, they make composites that I got to tell you look exactly like wood. Okay, a lot less maintenance, though. Stock's been a roller coaster this year. After roaring higher for most of April, trucks fell off a cliff late last month when it reported what many analysts called a disappointing quarter. Keep that in mind. The company delivered a modest top line beat coupled with a five cent earnings miss off of a 59 cent basis. Make matters worse, management cut their guidance for the next quarter. But it wasn't from demand. Demand was strong. They had some serious manufacturing issues, including two major allergies in their factory in Nevada. Now, though, the stock's down more than 20% over the past three months. Negatives, I think they're baked in. Is it safe to circle back to this one? Let's take a closer look with Jim Klein, president CEO, to get a better read on these recent operational hiccups and where his company's headed. Mr. Klein, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Jim. Great to be here. Thank you. Jim, I'm glad you're here because I thought the quarter was good. Now, I could be completely in some sort of abstract world,
3: but you did beat the numbers. Can you explain some of the confusion about what happened? Well, I, I think what the investors saw was we had a tough start to a new product introduction. Uh, and that cost us about $10 million uh, pre-tax. So it was a pretty sizable hit. We told them that it was going to take another quarter to work our way through that. In the second half, we predicted that we'd make that up and end up with incremental margins by the full year end. But there is no demand issue. That's what I'm focused on. Uh, No demand issue. Uh, One of the challenges is there was more demand than what we had anticipated.
1: uh, That's a a high-quality problem, because I thought that a sub-rose of lime would have been, well, lumber, as we know from Home Depot, really plummeted. So I think some people said, you know what, they can't compete against the new price of lumber. That's not the case.
3: No, the new products we introduced were targeted specifically at price points that we felt would be very effective against Uh, pressure-treated wood, for example. Right.
1: Now, I think that one of the things I didn't emphasize when you were on last time, this was my bad, but we're trying to do different things in 2019. Sustainability is in the DNA of Trex. People want to know what happens to all those plastic bottles. People are tired of plastic. This younger generation really despises plastic. They
3: think it's like coal. You have the answer. Uh, You're absolutely right. One of the things we've done, and it was from our inception, was to take waste polyethylene like uh, bags, stretch wrap. We take that material, combine it with recycled sawdust from cabinet and furniture manufacturers, and that's what we make Trex from. We're 95% recycled material. It's more cost-effective, and so it's a better way of doing it, and it's cheaper. Do you think that story is well-known because I think it's, what,
1: 500 million-plus pounds per year? Absolutely right. That would have been otherwise in a landfill. Absolutely right. Absolutely. I mean, I I think that's a tremendous story, and I think that the amount of water saved is rather incredible because you're a closed-loop company.
3: Uh, We are, and we're constantly working on those types of initiatives because environmental consciousness is not only important for us, It's a way to save money.
1: Okay, David Faber today was questioning my thesis, which I said, listen, as long as you have a house and the house could go up in price, you want to make it better. You want to invest. It's not an expense. David was saying that SALT, state and local tax problems, have made it so that certain parts of the country, they're not doing that. I think Home Depot said otherwise. What are you seeing?
3: Well, we certainly have seen a very strong demand in the first quarter. And uh, we're pretty pumped up about what we see with the introduction of the new products. The consumer is not backing away from buying. And most recently, Home Depot and Lowe's both are pointed to a much stronger second half.
1: Yeah, I thought that that was,
3: I mean, particularly, I have
1: to tell you, given how much water there's been, I, I find, at least from my decking, it's good for you that there's been such a bad spring.
3: Well, ab- absolutely. It, it, it did slow the demand a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, even with that, uh, the demand was very robust.
1: Okay. Now, you've got a great stadium business. We were out at, uh, went to the Warriors game last week, some of us from our team. We were out in San Francisco. New stadiums being built. Um, You get a a lot
3: of railing
1: business, right?
3: Absolutely. Commercial railing, um, uh, major arenas, uh, stadiums. We're the top supplier, probably in the 90% range of all the stadiums in North America have our railing in them.
1: When I looked at where your map is, uh, you have a good map of international. I would think the roadmap for international uptake could be extraordinary here.
3: Yeah, we're just getting started in that. Uh, we basically changed our business model to a model more similar to what we do in the United States, having good success with it in Europe, uh, pushing that out to, uh, to uh, Australia, where we think that'll be another, mm-hmm. another winner for us also. Well,
1: I mean, these are countries that tend to be a little more environmentally conscious. I mean, I, I know in, I was in Berlin. It's an obsession. I mean, everybody has to recycle. So I have to believe that they uh, and they're not they don't have a lot of wood. I mean, some of these countries in Europe just
3: don't have a lot of wood. This is good business for you. Uh, That's true. And the wood they used to bring in from the Amazon rainforest is not viewed very positively by most of the population.
1: Now, the last thing is I, I need people to know that every time somebody shifts a little bit from wood to treks, the leverage is huge.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal opportunity for us. Eighty-three uh, percent of all of the lineal feet sold is wood. For every one point we can move from wood to composites, it's $50 million at the factory door.
1: Well, that's extraordinary, and I think that when people, when younger people get enough, I mean, we now know that younger people are starting to buy homes. Okay, we started to hear that. I know household formation's down, but you give them those facts about landfill, I, I, they, they'll think that wood is the entire environmental.
3: Well, I think you're absolutely right, and we're counting on it. Uh, it's going to be the largest population base. Uh, uh, the boomers were number one. Boomers are now number two. The millennials are going to take that over. And you're a great story for them.
1: That's Jim Klein, you of Trex. You heard about that it was the kind of shortfall that you dream of. Too much demand. Med money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Triplets with drop first one and under ten. The stock nectar by the OCPR. Now the course has been set by the fans. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skate? It's time for the lightning round. Questions from I'm starting with Julie in Missouri. Julie. Hi, Jim. Hey, Joy.
0: Hi. I was wondering what your opinion was on the stock nectar NKTR.
1: You know, Nectar's pretty good. Uh, the problem is, is that group is so bad. Uh, it, it, it is a total speck on oncology and pain. Why don't Novartis? Kind of That's not a speck. You got growth and you got yield. How can you beat that, Vass? Let's go to Frank in Pennsylvania. Frank. Hey, Jimmy, what's uh, Kinder Morgan? KMI. Well, you know what? It's finally starting to move. I mean, Rich Kinder has bought so much stock. It's the only one, I think, in this group. I mean, given the insight, the the buying, the insider buying, it's rather amazing. Yields 5%. The dividend is going to go up. Uh, It's okay. I don't like Fossil. I guess if you have to buy Fossil, it's it. Let's go to Ron in Colorado. Ron!
0: Hello, Jim Kramer. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, uh, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller, Mike. Question is this.
3: Uh, first of all, thank you. I've made a lot of money on the Fang stock, so yes, thank you FANG for teaching that. Yes, Fang is ours. Yeah. My uh, my question is, I have some buy-and-hold stocks that I got years ago: uh, McDonald's and Exxon, and actually Intel, and I need to liquidate. Right, Intel not so great.
1: I? Uh, don't really feel uh, don't feel it there. Exxon, I don't like the fossil. McDonald's is one of the greatest stocks of our time, and I pounded that thing every time it is down. And do you think? Do you think that Mr. Easterbrook has come on the show? I have had more egg McDonald's, I have had McMuffins, I've had Big Macs and fries. It has meant nothing, nothing to Mr. Easterbrook. Until he comes here, I'm just gonna keep recommending a stock. When is is. Hey, why don't we go to Doug in uh, Wyoming? Doug. Kramer.
3: Doug. Uh-huh. L L Brands is down more than 29% since I bought it uh, over a year ago. Why did you
1: buy it, Doug? For Victoria's Secret? For pink? I'm just saying brands here, Regina. Hey, I've been 14 years with you. I can say a few brands. Let's go go to Johnny in California, John.
3: Uh, howdy, Jim. Uh, my talk today is Scientific
0: Games SGMS. No,
1: no, the gaming is not our thing. I mean, actually, I like, uh, but, you know, away from that, I like Las Vegas Sands, but no, we're not going to recommend that sock. And that, laser, lightning round!
0: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: I think today's a good day to take stock. I always like to do that on up days, so if you don't like what I say, you won't be as angry as you might be on a down day, at least in the sphere. And here's what I am thinking. Right now, frankly, there's a real shortage of buyable stocks. And when I say buyable, I mean stocks that'll let you kind of sleep comfortably at night or at least take a light nap. Let me walk you through the sectors that are off limits and explain what needs to happen before they can give you a sustainable rebound. In other words, they're not done. But I'm just telling you what ma- money managers really fear. The first forbidden city of stocks, every single financial, except the financial technology names, fintech. I mean, that's 13% of the s and 13, 513. Uh, and it's giving you nothing but pain. Why? Because the yield curve is almost inverted. Short-term rates are almost even with long-term rates, which means the banks can't make as much profit as they'd like to. The house of pain. The loan book doesn't make you a lot. I keep saying that bank stocks are too cheap and there's no way that they can stay this cheap. I keep being wrong. I mean, only Warren Buffett can be this wrong and get away with it at this point. Instead of owning the financials, portfolio managers import money to the parts of finance with no interest rate risk. I want you to think like Square, like PayPal. And uh, that's all they're willing to buy. Other uh, credit card companies. I think there's too much value here to give up on the banks, even as I accept that this group is absolutely despised. And it's been a sucker's bet to wage that the hate will subside anytime soon. Second sector that is off-limits I'm calling the industrials. They account for 9% of the SP 500. These stocks have become extremely difficult to own because they all get hit every time there's an escalation in the trade war in China. That's why they rallied today on President Trump's ratcheting back of the tensions by delaying the blacklist of Huawei. But given that the Chinese government seems to make new threats every night, you wake up and you see, oh, holy cow, why do I own these stocks? And money managers are starting to Hate them. There are only one or two exceptions to the industrials that people despise. Uh, third forbidden sector. Oh, man. Retail. You can argue with this whole group, which makes up about 10% of the S P, and a no-go zone because of the possibility that the margins will get squeezed by the new tariffs. And that's why Walmart stock did nothing after the company reported a true blowout quarter. Best in nine years. Retail cohort, just too hard. Oh, oh by the way, if you disagree with me. Go ask anyone who owns Kohl's or Nordstrom. I told everybody, but listen, even last Friday that Kohl's would have a shortfall as bad, doesn't matter. It was worse than bad. Fourth sector that's off limits, healthcare, which accounts for 14% of the S&P. The healthcare stocks are total losers every time Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, or any other plausible Democratic presidential contender for that matter, opens their mouths about Medicare for all. You gotta worry about what happens to the whole group if we get a Democratic sweep next year with one of them. One of the more left wing candidates uh, winning the White House. Still, I think fears are overblown as Democratic leadership in Congress, specifically against, they hate the single payer, including Nancy Pelosi. Fifth sector communications information technology collectively makes up 32% of the SP. I like the Cloud Kings and Fang here, but the semiconductor stocks have been crushed lately, at least until today's reprieve, led by Corvo, which pre announced a bad number, but didn't go down. However, I wouldn't get your hopes up because the moment the Chinese uh, communists decide to retaliate is the moment you give up today's gains in that gigantic agglomeration of stocks. How about energy? Wow, oil here at sixty-three bucks. Oil companies making good money. Many have reported better than expected earnings. Nothing. As for the transports, airlines are making fortunes. No one cares. Housing, on again, off again. Too risky. Toll Brothers good. Toll Brothers bad after the close. What does that leave? How about Verizon, Procter and Gamble, PepsiCo, Kimberly Clark? and at times Facebook and Amazon. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if we get any kind of truce in the trade war, all these down-and-out groups will explode other than the financials. Uh, you write them off at your own pearl. So what do you do? I think you wait. Some would say we're back in a bear market. I would say we're in abeyance. Crummy place to be, but it could be a terrific place with one flick of President Trump's pen or a tweet for that matter. Stick crazy. All right, not that long ago, we interviewed Michelle Goss from Kohl's, and I liked the story very much. It was tough today. Uh, I still believe, I think the yield is good, the balance sheet is good, but I uh, bought it for the Travel Trust, and I'm really smarting, but I'm gonna stick with it. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will
0: see you tomorrow.